1: Thank you, JJ. And I also want to thank all my listeners from all over the world. It is, again, a new year and so exciting as my countries are growing for the listening audience and individuals are being helped through the message that is given on this show. Never, ever give up hope. And each one of my guests has that message that no matter how tough things get, no matter how bad things they may appear, you hang on, you stick with it, you never give up hope, and you become a winner and a victor. And that's the story that each guest has had, and I so appreciate their input. And I appreciate the listening audience and the input they have given in reviews and questions and just. Your response has been awesome, and I appreciate that. Today with me, I have a guest who could easily have come to a place in her life that she could have given up hope as well as her family. But she has a story to tell that is one of great hope, one of never giving up. And I'm sure that there's going to be some tears and probably some laughter as we listen to Courtney's story today of how her and her family dealt with a situation that appeared hopeless, and yet today she is become an instrument in the entire world to change something that is going on that probably none of us as listeners have even thought about, and she's going to share that with us a little bit later. Courtney Lund is a professor and she is a writer who is currently working on a memoir about her relationship with her disabled brother. Her disabled brother, Gavin, suffers with AGS, and she'll explain that to us in a bit. She's also going to share her story with us today and all the emotions that surround hearing that someone you love has only a year to live. And also she's going to talk about how we can care for a disabled child and what impact that has on family. You are going to be inspired today, I absolutely promise you. Welcome, Courtney.
2: Thank you for having me, Carol. I'm so excited to talk with you today.
1: And we are excited to hear about your story. When I was reading about it this week, I mean, my heart just was excited to hear what you are doing and also grieving at what you went through. And I think that's what this show is all about, sharing the hopelessness of a situation and then coming out the other end with great hope and anticipation of what is going to happen. So tell us about the day that you heard the news regarding your baby brother, Gavin. When I
2: heard the news about my brother, I was only 19, I was a sophomore in college living in a sorority house at UC Santa Barbara. Um, It's a college, one of the only colleges that is right on the ocean. So you can imagine that people are busy with ocean activities and other things that involve having fun, being, sorry, (laughs) that involves anything being carefree and fun and young. Um, And at the time, I was living in a sorority house with 40 girls, and my parents called me on a normal Thursday, and they gave me the news that my only brother, Gavin, was dying. They told me he had been diagnosed with one of the rarest diseases in the world called ecardi Gutierrez syndrome, in AGS for short, as you said. Um, And they told me that the doctors were immediately placing him in hospice care, and they gave him a year to live. So, um when they called me, I was in the middle of doing Spanish homework. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I could no longer do my Spanish homework, but I went to class anyway. And in class, I had felt that time stood still and um and when I left, um I experienced this very strange phenomenon. Um the world kept spinning and kept moving. Students were laughing, talking on their phones. They got on their beach cruisers and rode their bikes home from class, and it felt like a world that I no longer belonged to or lived in. Um, I, I kind of felt like you were kicked off the planet and you were forced to start your own planet, Sisters of Dying Babies, population wow. zero. <laughs>
1: wow. That, just, that made an impact on me as you said that.
2: Yeah, so um, because, like, people go through things, you know, like, Some things, unfortunately, are more common than than others. Divorces can shake the foundations of anyone involved in a family. But siblings dying when they're a baby, um, not so popular when it comes to people you know that Mm. they're also going through that. So there wasn't like a resource or a book or a friend where I could reach out to and be like, hey, what am I supposed to do with this information? How am I supposed to take the next step Uh in this this Uh day? Um, and so you kind of have to turn inward because you have to figure out what to do on your own in that moment.
1: So what made you decide to leave school and go home? Like you're right in the middle of, of your, you know, your studies, your 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 choice to for your, your life, whatever. What were you studying? I don't even recall if you mentioned that.
2: Yeah, great question. Um, I was figuring out what I was studying. I had gone into college undeclared um kind of unsure of what I wanted to, to do, be. A lot of students, I believe, well, not a lot, but some people go in and they feel like they have the, this infinite amount of time to do things. And uh-huh. Gavin brought a microscope very quickly to my life that time didn't last forever, and I needed to figure things out quickly. And the first thing I realized was that living in a sorority house probably the polar opposite of what i was going through at that time you know where people and girls are interested in the right outfit for the night or texting right uh-huh. boy i felt like i was a water damaged puzzle piece that no longer fit with that puzzle and i was morphing into this new puzzle and because i no longer fit in this world i had to drop out of college um And be home with my family. Because the burning question that lived inside of me was. How am I supposed to learn to love a dying baby? Someone who I had not fairly learned to love. He was four months old. He was born in early summer when I was busy with work. I went back to school. And now he was dying. And I hadn't yet learned to love him in the way that he deserved. And I knew that if I stayed in school. I never tried to love him. I would never forgive myself. So I dropped out of college to figure out what it meant to love my dying brother.
1: That's amazing. And you're looking back, I am quite confident you're not sorry of that decision.
2: Oh, I'm never sorry of it. I feel that um, that leap of leaving school was built on faith. I love your podcast because I love the idea of hope. And I was thinking this morning about kind of the triangle of faith, hope, and love. And what I thought about was a tree. And I feel that faith is the roots of the tree, you know, the foundation. Yes. And I think that hope is the trunk of the tree. Um, Keeping it up, it builds out of faith. And then from that grows love in the canopy or the branches of the tree. And I didn't know that at that time, but I was thinking about that this morning, that it takes a leap of faith to leave college, something that everyone expected you to do well in, to be home and go through this really big thing. And what I wanted was love, which would grow out of hope.
1: I have never heard it described better. That is absolutely <laughs> stunning. That is beautiful. Was that yours?
2: Yeah, I literally was <laughs> microwaving my coffee, and I was like, this is a tree.
1: <laughs> okay, we're going to make this viral. That is absolutely beautiful beautiful
2: (laughs) comes across as cliche so much and i was like like, how can you say it without being a cliche with being new and real and tangible so tree (laughs) very very
1: well done what were the emotions that you had to deal with was there anger was there guilt of course fear tell us a little bit about the different emotions that you went through initially not only when you heard about it but also as you made these decisions and then as you started um you know being with him and helping with his caregiving etc
2: Oh, I think it was every emotion possible, <laughs> because um, if you look at it simply or plainly, um, we're told from an early age, most of us, uh, the narrative of babies, which is babies live. You know, babies are born. Um, they're the kind of the purest form of human that there is. And um, they're not really supposed to enter hospice care and have brain damage. So... Um, There's anger and there's sadness and there's grief with, you know, something breaking the narrative. Um, Everything that everyone goes through, that's big. You know, the things that smash us in the face, they all go against those narratives that we've known for so long. So the first thing was being mad at that narrative that this could be a narrative for a baby and not just any baby, but my brother. And um, the disease... I was. We were also really mad at the disease because of the disease. The statistics of getting the disease was, you know, the statistics of a black swan. Um, one in a million. Two, the like the odds of two people coming together, incredibly rare. And so my parents both had to carry the gene. And when two people come together that carry that gene, their chances for having a baby with AGS is one one in four. And Gavin is the fourth child. So statistics worked in that way and then there's you know grief of the old family the family is broken when this news happens and everyone's trying to survive and simultaneously escape the best way that they know how you know I did too I started working when I got back home and but I also was there with my mom and my mom probably well not probably she went through this the hardest she she is a physician so it was difficult that she couldn't save her dying baby and I was kind of her right hand girl at home with with this and I would see her um, with my brother and it would be like they would go to battle every day or for weeks at a time my mom had this name for when my brother's disease showed up and she called it the monster and she said Today won't be a good day, she said. The monster is here. And so the monster was when Gavin's disease would flare up and it would cause his brain damage. So during these episodes, um, his body would no longer belong to him and he would shake and he would oogle his eyes in distant directions. He would spike fevers of 104 and throw up and his lips would turn purple and he would hang like limp noodles in her arms. Extremely weak. But all she did was love him. And so if there was any mirror or any way or frame for me to learn how to love him, it was through my mom. And thankfully, I eventually did, of course, because I learned through my time with him and his disease, even though he, had given, he was given this kind of death sentence, that love was always worth it, that the pain of losing someone you love is worth everything in the world than never loving at all. So, yes, <laughs> all of the emotions. Yes,
1: I hear that as as well in your voice, and certainly can appreciate that. Were you support for your parents, or they a support for you, or was it a mutual?
2: That is a really great question. Um, I think, in terms of support, at that time, I had also anger because I didn't feel. Like our family was supporting each other like I said everyone was trying to survive the best way they knew how and um, for my dad that might have meant keeping the family going by staying at work and taking my sisters to soccer tryouts and soccer practice And my youngest sister Sydney was 9 she was kind of too young to understand and she would read Twilight books in her room and Danica was barely in high school She was, she's in between Sydney and I and, you know, she stayed busy in soccer and hanging out with friends. And um, we were a family that always ate dinner at the dinner table. And we always did everything together. And this this kind of was the stopping point of that for this moment. And we were all kind of trying our best to support ourselves and keep ourselves alive and Gavin. But um, in brief moments, be there for each other as well. And it's hard because... You don't know in that moment that you are creating a new normal, and the new normal will come, and our new normal, without giving it away, is better than anything we could have ever imagined. But in that moment, you don't know that yet.
1: You are in the midst of writing your memoir as well, where you're going to share all Mm -hmm. of this and more. Yes. (laughs) And you also do a lot of writing for, was it online magazines or what?
2: Yeah, I'm working on my memoir, and I'm also writing essays. So I have um, an essay in the New York Times. I had one recently in Glamour. I should have one coming out soon in the Washington Post. And so I try to give an honest take on what it means um, to have a sibling perspective through all of this, through this news um, of my sick brother. And how long was it before you
1: went back to school?
2: I actually went back to school. I dropped out in October. I went back in January. Um, I had dropped out actually for two reasons, to try to save my family, bring them closer together because I sensed that things were falling apart. didn't quite accomplish that, but I did accomplish in loving my brother, um, and that was the main reason why I had also gone home.
1: And what are you a professor of now?
2: I teach writing.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
2: Yes, I love writing. I teach writing. Um yep. Yeah.
1: In what what format? Do you teach it online or you teach it in um a school or for
2: four year college.
1: For your college. Excellent. So what was the biggest or some of the life lessons actually that you learned through this whole experience? And maybe also the biggest one? So give us a few.
2: Definitely. So um, I would also like to share, I can I can give it away, that on Gavin's first birthday, he was taken off of hospice care, and wow. he was called a hospice graduate, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was this odd celebration of sorts, you know, uh, because typically people don't graduate from hospice, so there was a strange irony in it all, and <laughs> the, the local marketing team came to our house and took pictures of him for their new marketing pamphlet you know he had graduated um <laughs> I, I still don't wow. know to think about that but i mean <laughs> it is amazing and um so our journey shifted and and this will also be in my book about what it means to love a dying baby into shifting into a new new phase of what does it mean to live and love and thrive with a handicapped or a disabled boy and and that is something huge and big and beautiful all on its own, much different than the di- the diagnosis, that initial kind of death sentence. What I learned through Gavin and his never giving up and my mom and my family, my dad, my sisters, and I never giving up, I learned all these great things. And Gavin was my teacher through all of it. I talked to her about like, this fragility. Life is fragile. We don't have everyday guaranteed and it's your choice to do what you feel like God has put you here to do, um, and do that every day, and, and Gavin has taught me that. That's why I've always pursued my passion of writing, sharing his story with the world, teaching others to write, um, to tell their truths, because I could easily go off and do something else, but I, Gavin has taught me to pick the thing that is truest to me that I feel like only I can do. And without him, I don't know if I would have ever chosen to do that. So that's what I've learned, and that's what I've taken away. I've also taken away that um, it doesn't matter how you are in the world. If you're disabled or able-bodied or, you know, whatever you are, um, your life experience matters and it is worth it and it is rich and as important as anyone else's and Gavin's life and his experience is beautiful although he cannot walk he can't talk he can't eat solid foods he'll never get married you know he'll never graduate from high school probably but his life is so worth it and it's beautiful and he's just full of love and when you see him you see a little bit of yourself kind of um, and he brings you back to yourself in your true form. So I've learned through him that, um, that all lives matter and are beautiful and rich in their own ways. One of the biggest things I would say I've learned is perspective. And I think that when big things happen to us, um, which you know, which I'm sure listeners know, those big things that throw us off, we have two choices. We can choose to see ourselves for victims kind of eternally. Um, or we can choose to see ourselves as if we won the lottery. Um, because there's a takeaway from everything. And I think there's a spiritual fortune in all the bad things that happen to us. And if we have the positive perspective of what can I find in this experience? What meaning can I find in it? Our life will be much happier, fulfilled, rich, Um And we'll be able to move on and have new experiences by having a positive, deep perspective in things. And perspective
1: is also another word for attitude. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, the way we look at things is our perspective. It is our attitude. And we make that choice. Mm -hmm. Just as you made that choice and you could be a victim, you could be uh, having a pity party, you could be a martyr, you could be any number of things, you could be feeling sorry for yourself and asking why and it's not fair but instead you've taken the high road which is what can I learn from this, who can I help through this. Mm -hmm. How has this changed my perspective of not only my life, but how I perceive life in in general and for others? And I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit of what you have done with what you've learned. But first, I wanted to ask you, tell us about Gavin's life. Now, you mentioned some of the things he cannot do. He graduated from hospice, which <laughs> I love the way you put that, how is the monster compared to what he was when he was so little, and when he graduated, like explain that transition like is he at home now? Does he have to have special care like where where what is he now compared to what he was essentially
2: definitely, so now um, his his day looks like this, his mornings. Um, someone wakes up and will blend him a great all-American breakfast of maybe a waffle, pork sausage, some blueberries, always butter and milk because it's hard to keep calories on him. Right now he's nine, so he's approaching 10, which we're super excited about. And um, he's, but he's thin. He's about 40, to 45 pounds. And um, he's carried downstairs. My parents never have a day off from heavy lifting. <laughs> uh, he keeps them in shape. Um, so he needs help to eat his three meals a day in the morning and then the night he gets seizure medications because that is kind of where the monster will still linger, um, in current times. Uh. He'll have these flare ups and he'll get grand mal seizures and they scare us. They, they scare us a lot, um, because it takes us back to that really fragile time. Nine right. Years ago. Um, so that's what we're afraid of, but. It doesn't happen every day anymore. Um, knock on wood, his last one was in November. So it's been about few, uh, three months or so.
1: Oh, wonderful.
2: Yes. and uh, But my parents are so awesome. My whole family has built the support system around him. They never believe that he can't do anything they set the bar very high for him he goes to pt every week he goes to ot so physical therapy occupational therapy he does aquatic exercises in the pool and the jacuzzi to strengthen his legs he has an eye gaze machine where he can look at a picture and say i want to play with my sister courtney or i want to go ride my trike um We have a special walker for him that he walks in, and he can be vertical with us in the world, and he loves running down the driveway and in the street in front of our house, and he just feels like this big boy, Um, and he is. And it's so great to see my parents push him to be the best he can be mentally, physically. My mom will not ever give him a G-tube, which is when the food comes in through the stomach. She's... Uh always pushing for to, for him to have the richest life he can have no matter how difficult it is for her, my dad, or him and he has nurses and a babysitter during the days, some days and it's great because then my parents can go on a date um, <laughs> but usually we'll just bring the nurse with us and we'll all go to the movies or something because we don't ever want to leave him out he's all in on all of the inside jokes You know, he loves typical boy fart jokes, and um, (laughs) he likes being bad. He'll stand outside in his walker and knock cars off the patio table, like little toy cars, and he'll shriek with laughter, you know, that he's being mischievous. Um, You know, we take him on vacation. We went on a road trip to Tahoe last summer, nine hours um, in the car, you know, and so we have to take him to the bathroom, but my mom has taught him to, tell us when he has to go to the bathroom even though he can't talk she'll say do you have to go to the bathroom and he'll smile and that means yes and if he doesn't he'll nod his head back and forth which means no so he is completely there it just can't come out but one of the biggest things his life is in his current state is inclusion and there's such i think that's the biggest blessing for all of us is including him in everything and never leaving him out
1: and you've never looked at that as a sacrifice, I bet.
2: I don't think so. I think there's moments where it feels sacrificial, where we have to leave an event early, you know, or at a wedding, and, you know, he he has to go to bed at nine every night. You know, he, he can't be the normal, you know, kind of on the edge uh-huh. of pre-adolescent uh-huh. boy and stay up till midnight, you know. If he does, he'll probably get a seizure, so. But you just get used to those things, and you don't even think about them, because you see the joy in his eyes, and in our eyes, and the laughter he brings us, then we bring him, and everything is always worth it.
1: Incredible. Thank you for
2: sharing that. Of so, what
1: have you found to be your greatest source of strength? Uh,
2: my greatest source of strength is always in God, and I think it always will be. And through prayer, I believe in prayer and God and Um, When I was going through this, I would sometimes just be in nature. And something about the silence in nature really brings you the answers you need. And I tell my students this sometimes because I do teach at um, a Christian university. That if they ever feel like just life is too loud um, and they don't have the answers, to go out in nature and sit under the tree or sit in the silence of where there's birds and clouds and a blue sky and, you know, silently... You know, ask God what you need, and he's always been my strength, even though it feels at the time, you know, why is this happening? Everyone asks those questions, why is this happening? Right. Um, but the answers eventually come, I think, and it's kind of having the faith that they will come, so… Were you condemned
1: for that attitude, like by your community or friends and lack of support because they thought that possibly you were, you know, uh, living in some kind of uh, bubble that you, that this was not going to be inevitable or what was going to happen? Like, were, did they condemn you or did they support you in general, people around you in your community?
2: I think we've always been supported. I always believe that um, perspective and attitude, how you said they're linked, is always contagious. And how you view things is usually how other people will view them too, especially if it's in your world. So because we saw things a certain way, everyone else sees things a certain way. If you go to my brother's Facebook page, which I run, um, I post videos and pictures of him updating our community and friends about his little joy's mini miracles the other day he said hi and it's on there it's gorgeous and amazing people see that too you know i think (laughs) that we're we're all role models in our own lives
1: and when you share that it's it's doing exactly what we're doing right here and that is you are giving hope if it happened for them it can happen for us what is his prognosis do you have any idea or is it a one day at a time
2: A, a great question that people ask a lot and the truth is is that we don't know and we can't know and which is also very comforting because we don't know what the next day sometimes will look for any of us right so we kind of take that with him we don't ask doctors or ask people and say oh does he have one year to live or 10 years to live like no one needs to feed themselves that kind of anxiety <laughs> so um we we love him every day and we love ourselves every day and our friends and our family and strangers. And hopefully we'll all be here the next day. That's the attitude I have. And I don't know if everyone has that attitude, but uh, that has kind of saved me because it's easy to be swallowed by anxiety and worry and what if, and, and I just, I don't choose to, to live that way.
1: That's right. And that's what we talked about earlier. Attitude is a choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Bottom line. So tell us what your call to action is today and what you are doing and how you are involved in bringing this message to the
2: world. Uh, I'm involved in trying to get my finish my book and get it out there so people can kind of understand this kind of intimate uh, viewpoint into this family with this dying and then disabled child. And not in a way where it says piteous, but kind of rejoice this boy in every little mini miracle he's done in his life. Uh, I think it's kind of missing in our society. Um, it's interesting. I had a talk with my dad a few months ago about, you know, 50 years ago or more, um, we would see someone, if we would see someone disabled, he said, you know, they'd be locked in the basement or something. And <laughs> we're we're in this shift now where it's, it's changing, and um, everyone matters. And and I, I, I couldn't imagine living in time back then, so this is kind of that time where it's all coming to fruition. And for my call to action, um, it's to share the sibling's perspective because there's many books out there on parents' perspectives, uh, and which are incredibly important. But a lot of times disabled children also have siblings. And I think the grief and the change... And everything it means is different than the parent. Um, Similar, overlapping, but different. And so my job as a writer and a storyteller is to bring the sibling's perspective on disability and illness into the world. And um, this year I'll be launching a group called Sisters and Brothers uh, where I'll be collecting stories of siblings um, who are the siblings of special needs brothers and sisters so I'm super excited about that and I feel that it's important and it's the time to kind of open that for the world very well done I wish you all the best in that
1: regard because I can think of as you're talking many people who could be helped by this who have disabled brothers or sisters and also the pressure that's put on them and sometimes the lack of attention and all the things that they have to cope with mm-hmm. and not get angry about and so by your bringing perspective do you do the, are you planning on doing this like in workshops or strictly through your writing what what is your plan there
2: yes i i would love to grow um for meetups and workshops but initially it'll be through kind of the sharing of stories because i think the number one thing when you find out the news Um, where something's kind of wrong with your sibling or they're dying, you feel really alone, kind of the most alone feeling in the world pretty much Um, because not a lot, again, not a lot of overlap. Like your next door neighbor probably might not have a sibling that is dying or is sick. So I think kind of bringing and branching that community together and making it known that people aren't alone because everyone I've talked to I can always feel, and they tell me that, you know, it feels very lonely, even if they have other siblings, because each sibling experiences it differently. The process—I'm not sure what it'll take me yet, but um, I want pe- I want siblings to feel less alone and to grow from there.
1: So, again, taking your trauma and helping someone else as a result of it.
2: Yes. Well,
1: Courtney, it has definitely been enlightening and most definitely inspiring and i know encouraging for those who may be going through something similar i am looking forward to not only sharing your story but also hearing what is going to be happening with what you're doing so we thank you again We thank you for sharing from your heart we thank you for sharing your story and I appreciate everything that you said. I appreciate the tears, and I appreciate the joy that is emanated through your voice and when you talk about your baby brother. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.
2: Thank you
0: for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of 5 stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.